will trust in you. As, as, as the church of old would say, we will trust in you until we die. Even as your servant said, I would have fainted lest I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage for he shall strengthen thine heart. Father, I pray that you would give us the ability to wait on you and not just wait in worry or fear or trepidation, but that we will wait in joy. We will wait in confidence. We will wait being assured of the fact that he that hath promised is faithful. And so we pray now in the name of Jesus that you would open our hearts, minds, and spirits to receive what you want to share with us this entire month. God, I pray that you would give us patience. You would give us grace and understanding break down every paradigm that would be counterproductive to what you want to do this month. Father God, open every heart, every mind, every spirit. Change us. Change us. Change us. We want to be changed. We are a people that are ready for change. We don't want to stay the same. We don't want to go in the same direction. We want change. Even for those of us who are going in the path that you have declared, make it even clearer. Give us a new mindset concerning the things that you are calling us to. So we declare that we will arise and we will be woke. And it is so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Your presence blesses me. You could have chosen to join the masses of the nation to gather around the altar of your screen and worship some unworthy gods. But I thank you that you gave God the first of your day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, we're starting some work today that's going to take us about all month to do it. Um, the time has come to have a real conversation about race and religion. Uh, some of you will become uncomfortable. Some of you, your paradigms will be challenged and shifted. Um, I am a conversationalist, and so I do welcome any offline conversations I need you to understand that I'm not standing here before you as one who is going to rally for one race above another. Uh, I am going to stand for right and righteousness. I want to stand for the word of God because the Bible tells us that even after heaven and earth passes away, the only thing that will still remain is the word of the Lord. And so regardless of what you have experienced, regardless of what your personal preference, bias, consideration is, we always, if we're going to be biblical Christians, we always have to acquiesce to the word of God. Now, let me say the properly contextualized 
the properly exegeted, the properly taught word of God. Amen? Amen. Because there are many people who use this as a weapon, who use this as a tool to divide. But I believe, I believe that when we lift up the scripture according to God's word, unity, grace, favor, correction should and will ensue. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, so all this month we'll be talking about the woke church, the woke church. Uh, Sister Deidre made, made some cool t-shirts and, uh, she gave it to me as a gift. And I said, man, we ought to make this available for the whole church. And so she's taking orders today. If you want one of these woke shirt, I mean, woke church t-shirts, I'm going to be wearing mine all month. I'll wash it. I promise. But I'm going to be wearing mine. Amen. Uh, to make sure that, uh, that we're good. You can order your uh, woke church shirt uh, from Sister Deidre. Amen? But we want to we talk about what it means to be a woke church because too many churches of Jesus Christ, too many within the church of Jesus Christ, there's only one church, too many within the church of Jesus Christ have been asleep. I remember uh, about two years ago now, Right after the death of Flandell Castile, uh, we had a conversation. I, we broke my, our vacation, and we came down early uh, to have a conversation. Thank God for Brother Michael Lyons and Sister Toya Parker, who joined me on stage that Sunday. And we actually had a real conversation about race in America uh, because uh, it's a problem that we need to talk about. I believe that God has answers for every problem that faces society. But if we don't want to hear God's solution, or more, if we don't want to follow God's structure, we will never be able to receive his solution. See, many people want God's answers, but don't want to be accountable to him. Many people want God's blessing, but do, do not want the burdens that come with being his children. So all this month, we are going to be, we're going to be uh, making our way through this conversation, uh, and we're going to continue this really uh, as an undercurrent throughout the year. Um, in April, I believe, God has, has uh, allowed me to have some, uh, make some good relationships, so one of my one of my good uh, Anglo brother pastors and one of my good Spanish brother pastors are going to join me on stage in April, and we're going we're gonna to sit and talk about it. We're going to have a real conversation. Uh, we'll, we'll, as we've done, we'll, whenever we had our real talk sessions, we'll take questions from the congregation, and we'll do our best to answer them in real time or offline. But I think it's time to have this conversation. Amen. We post about it, right? We tweet about it. We Instagram about it. We say something. And, and that moment, we're charged up, and, and we all do the hashtags. But after we go back to our regular life, we forget about the young person that was killed. We forget about the family that's dealing with that loss. And we go back to life as normal. But I believe there is an awakening that needs to happen within the church of Jesus Christ. Because if we look back from the first century all the way to the present day, any moral initiative, any great move for equality 
had to be championed by the church. Had to be championed by the church. The church, as the Bible calls it, the ground and pillar in the world, the ground and pillar of truth, if the church does not champion it, any initiative will be hollow at best. It will be unfortified because it's not built on the establishment of God's word. I believe that in the last several decades, after the culmination of Dr. King's work and his prophetic demise, I believe the church went to sleep. I believe the church went to sleep. We were talking in school of ministry just uh, about a week ago, and one of the, the cohort members said, Bishop, what happened to the church, and why? what happened to the, to the civil rights movement? There's several things that we need to address that challenged the work of the church in the public sector concerning civil rights and equality. And the major one, whether you want to agree with it or not, the major one has nothing to do with a dominant culture or race. It has everything to do with black affluence. I remember when Heavenly Vision was a community church. I'm told of even when we were at 8804 South Main and everybody in the church lived in the community. 1953, our pastor was on the front lines with, 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 with many other pastors in the community working for civil rights. Uh, uh, even, even within this ministry, we have pictures of Dr. King visiting, of Muhammad Ali visiting here. What? Yes. But somewhere after 1969, when we marched over from Little Heavenly Vision, from 8804 to 243, when we, when we shut down the street, and we came through with our Chryslers and Cadillacs, and we cut the ribbon on the new building, and we had a, a, a sanctuary and a parsonage and a fellowship hall and a school. And folks started getting better jobs. And even the image of equality was present. And people were, were able to move into better communities. And we were able to better, buy better houses and we were able to have better levels of finance. Some of us, not everybody, but some of us just stopped caring about the poor. Because we were no longer poor. Some of us stopped caring about the disenfranchised because we were no longer disenfranchised. Some of us stopped caring about the oppressed because now the oppression, we had moved to a place to where even though it's still real and still present, it didn't affect us as much. 
and we stopped going to the White House because now we in the cabinet. We stopped fighting for injustice because now we were starting to benefit from it. Somewhere along the way, we fell asleep. But I want to be one of the ones that calls the church, that awakes the church to consciousness and says, wait a minute, just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it's not affecting us. And just because it's not your son and just because you can afford to put your children in a place to where they're not affected like others are does not mean that it's not your problem. And just because you have not tasted it does not mean that you can't be a candidate for it. And so we approach the scripture. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Verses 1 through 11. Notice this because as it reads, it'll sound like he's talking to us today. Notice what he says. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. We see what 45 is doing every day. We have CNN alerts on our iPhone. Right? For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, our nation has never been better. Black unemployment is at an all-time low. While people say there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day, we are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet of hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Another thing that has hindered the work of equality in our nation, especially as it relates to race, even within religion, is individualism. The individual. 
I, I, I lament at the reality that there are pastors who preach that you should mind your business and, 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 and stay out of other folks' business. What they do don't concern you. But in reality, what you do as a believer concerns me as a believer because we are one family. Talk to me for a second. Husbands, what your wife does should concern you. Wives, what your husband does should concern you. Parents, what your children do should concern you. Likewise, what we do as brothers and sisters, what happens among us should concern us. You should be concerned that I'm going through. I should be concerned that you're going through. But if I allow individualism to take root in my life so much to the degree that your pain doesn't affect me, then we cannot join ourselves and engage in godly progress. Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, wake up. Folk around here acting like it's not that bad, but it is. You have economists and you have so-called African-Americans who are saying that we're in the best place than we've been. That even though we don't like him, he's good for the economy. And even though so forth and so on, we got to acknowledge that the stock market is at this and the Dow is at that. You need to understand that it does not matter what's in your account and it does not matter where you live if you are morally bankrupt. Remarkable to me that we live in a day and a generation where we have to censor our children watching our commander in chief. Because he may use words that we don't even use in our daily conversation. It doesn't matter how much you have if you are morally bankrupt. Paul tells the church at Thessalonica, it's time to wake up. It's time for you to come out of your ivory palace. It's time for you to come out of your, of your comfortable air-conditioned sanctuary. It's time for you to recognize that there is a world outside of our doors that is dying, and it's not because there is no solution. But it is because the solution has been circumference from them, segregated from them. And we, and we shout and we sing in the house and say, come in, come in, be warm but we never go to the freezing and say, I bring warmth to you. Remarkable to me, when Jesus is concluding his earthly ministry, he does not say, stay here, stay here, and hope that they come to you. But he says, go. Make yourselves uncomfortable. Break out of your norms. Break out of your mediocre place and go to where they are. Jesus, when he opens the Bible to preach in the synagogue, he opens to a, an amazing passage in Isaiah and he says, uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has called me, listen, to the poor, to the enslaved, and to the oppressed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
to do so. Now, my question to the church today, and even though it may seem like I'm coming for you, this is a testament to the church at large. What has God anointed us to do? Because when we look at our overarching society, when we look at the, t- the, the, the church as it, is, as it is depicted on TV, it would seem that the Lord has anointed us to gain wealth only. It would seem as if the Lord has anointed us just to be healed, whole, and comfortable. But when did God stop anointing people to go to the poor? The enslaved and the oppressed. We know exactly what's going on in our present day culture. We see what the alt-right is doing. We see and we have seen down through the years what prejudice policing looks like. What systematic racism looks like. We've seen it, and many of us have had to drink from that bitter cup. But what we need to understand is that it didn't start here. It didn't start with the Nina, the Penta, and the Santa Maria. It did not start when the affluent African sold their brother to the European. It did not start where whole tribes were taken off of their land. It started here. It didn't start when 45 was elected. It didn't start when Emmett Till was lynched. It didn't start on the slave block. It started in the scripture. And so as an opening to this series, before we leave, I just want to give you origin. We're going to deal with a lot of present things that we're dealing with. We, we're, going, we're going to face, and uh, yes, some, some things I'm going to go there. I'm going to talk about it. It may be uncomfortable. It may push us. It, it, may, it may disturb our cuticles, but it's okay because we're going to get there together. But we have to understand that it did not start in this culture, in this day, in this age, or even centuries ago. It started at the very beginning. So the first thing we need to deal with, it's week one, talking about origin. The first thing we need to deal with is the origin of separation. I got more scripture than anything else. Go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 11. We purposely didn't put this on the screen because I want you to read it out of your Bible. Genesis chapter 1 verses, uh, Genesis chapter 11, excuse me, verses 1 through 9. Genesis chapter 11 verses 1 through 9. Now read this because this is amazing. Genesis chapter 1, uh, chapter 11 verses 1 through 9. We still family? Still together? Okay, all right. Now the whole earth had one language, what? And the same words, and the people migrated from the east. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and let us 
excuse me, burned them together, uh, burned them thoroughly, rather. And they had brick for stone. And they had brimmen for martyr. And they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. And let us be dispersed over the face of the earth. And let the Lord come down and see the city and the tower. Excuse me. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. And they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they purpose will be uh, to do will not be now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from their own face of the earth from there all over the face of the earth and they left off building the city therefore its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them all over the face of all the earth now we have to understand that God is good, God is just, God is holy, God is righteous. So God makes no mistakes. Because some will argue, some will argue that all of this race issue is God's fault. God is the one who separated us. We were once all one. But what we have to understand is the nuance of the text. And for the sake of time, we will act as if we've put in 30 hours on Genesis 11. And we will get to the reality to understand that even though God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, they, they were to remain in the east. That was the place that God created for them. The first issue that we have with mankind, and we can even go back to Genesis chapter 6 and recognize that many of, many of men were now beginning to, uh, to become a mixed race of people because the, the, the Nephilims or the fallen angels came down to earth. This is Genesis chapter 6. And they began to marry and procreate with the sons of Adam and Eve. And so when we get to Genesis chapter 11, the people are striving in their oneness, but they no longer want to be where God put them. The origins of separation is when you become dissatisfied with the placement of God. We have to know that God is honest, he's just, he's true. He's holy, he's righteous, and if he puts you somewhere, he puts you there for a reason. And so instead of trying to figure out how to better yourself or get to a better place, how about we seek God and say, God, while I'm here, what do you want me to do? How would you want me to live? They started migrating. Nobody told them to move. The Bible says they migrated to the east to where, where, where is Shinar, but if you, if you look at that to present day, we would know it as Mesopotamia, but it is a middle portion that it declares that it is Babylonia. 
which means, or, or where we get Babylon, or, or the gate of God. But not big G God, little God. In other words, it is the gate or the place where we can make gods for ourselves. The gate, the, the entry point of idolatry. And God understood that if he let the people stay one, if he let them keep doing what they were doing, they would immerse themselves fully into idolatry and he would not be able to save them. Unless he defied his own law. And so he confuses them for the sake of saving them. He goes on to say, they go on to say, how, how, how do we get to the place of separation? He, they say, let us not be named what the Lord names us. But let us make a name for ourselves. Origins of separation. Anytime we want to forge an identity outside of the will of God, we are bound to be separated. They wanted to forged an identity outside of the very identity that God had already given them. Keep trying to be something you're not. Change your hair all you want to. You steal who you are. Lighten it up. Put all the filters you want. I wish I had about three people that would say it loud. Oh, nobody know James Brown? Okay, anyway. All right. Okay, okay, okay. Spend all your check putting somebody else's hair on your head. You're still. I differ from my granddad. My granddad, he was like, ain't nobody got to be, got to be like this, and ain't nobody got to be like that. Buy this, put it on. And I'm cool with that, and, and, and that's all right. But my, my question is, is this, is this just for style or is this compensating a lesser identity? Because we got to deal with that and we are, I'm not going to deal with it today. I'm not going to deal with it today. But some of us, we have to understand that we have, been, we have been pushed into a systematic process whereby you've been taught your hair isn't good enough. And your hair nothing. And that's not right. Straighten it out. Come on, y'all. We, we, we're, we, we're unpacking our new house. And my wife brings out this tool of oppression called a hot comb. Said, what is this? It's burn marks. That is a tool of oppression. But I'm going to press on. I'm going to press. Somebody like, get off it, Bishop, because you ain't stopping me from getting my bundles. I'm not, I'm not hating on you. I'm not hating on you. So here we see it. We, here we see it. But it was not, it was not, watch this. It was not, God did not do it to, to, he did not separate them, listen to me, to make them at odds with each other. He separated them so that they could find their way back to him. See, they wanted to build a tower to show God, to prove, look, look at what we did. They wanted, they, they wanted, they wanted to, to uh, become equal with the sovereign. And so this is the origin of separation, ambition of man. Our ambition drove us to be separated. 
not God, our ambition. Because we wanted something that God did not purpose for us to have. And I'm going to leave here, but some of us have to be very honest and say that there have been many times in your life that you wanted things that God never purposed for you to have. I, love, I, 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 was, I was teaching a leadership conference yesterday, and one of the facilitators uh, 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 that, that was helping me facilitate the class, uh, he, he, said, he said there were many times that I would pray and I would see pastors uh, 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 having nice things, and their church was growing at, at, at rapid pace, and, and I seen all these things, and I, and I would say, God, I can preach better than them, and I, I'm, I know I'm living better than they are, and I, I don't even cheat on my wife like they do, and why do they have what? Uh, uh, all that stuff, and I don't have it yet. And, and he said something amazing. I'm challenging every one of you because every one of us, we see something, we've looked at people, and we've tried to, we've tried to figure out why we don't have what they have. And the, and the pastor asked a, a, a shocking question as the Holy Spirit lifted it up to him. Who told you that was a blessing? Everything you see people post on Facebook is not a blessing. Some stuff is a burden with a bow. Be satisfied with what God provides. Because anytime we engage in ambition beyond the will of God, we will find ourselves in separation. It, it, it didn't start with Bull Connor. Segregation now. It didn't start there. No, it's when, it's when the ambition of man goes beyond the will of God. Let's push forward. The next thing we need to look at is the origin of oppression. So now we've seen how, it's, how we started, and that, that's all I'm doing today. We're just setting the groundwork. We're laying the foundation. We're going to have some good conversation this month. Amen. Now let's look at the origin of oppression. Look at Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. Start reading at verse 8. Peep this. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many. They are many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built uh, for the Pharaoh stone cities, uh, Pantheon and, and Ramses, but the more they were oppressed, <laughs> this makes me happy, Rodney, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter and hard, bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and with all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So we didn't start with England, fam. It didn't start with the new colonies. It didn't start in the tobacco fields or the cotton fields. No, it started in the hills of Egypt. 
Oppression starts, watch this, when people forget their heritage. When people forget their legacy. Notice what the scripture says. And there rules a Pharaoh that knew not of Joseph. You know the story. We've exegeted it already, right? We know the story of, of Joseph who is sold into slavery by his brothers. Really, really, really sold into slavery by his own family. We're not going to deal with that today. But it's a reality. The people that had the same color as him because they did not like him or because they wanted to make money off of him, they sold him. Please don't think that while there were, over, while there were scores of people on this side of the ocean picking in cotton fields that there weren't others in a fan chair reaping the benefits of the slavery of those in the West. They did not remain connected to their heritage, to their legacy. They did not understand what their people provided for the nation. And because they did not remember what their people provided for the nation, we see the origin of oppression. But then furthermore, we see a fear of a people. Many of the reasons why the African-American is oppressed in such a way in America is because the dominant culture is afraid of them. Uh, listen, listen, listen. That, that any field you go in, you'll dominate. And you mean to tell me people don't notice that? Come on, some of y'all, some of y'all sharp black folk in here, talk to me for a minute. There's about 18 of y'all in here. You the best one in the office. And about one of the only ones in the office. I'm going to back up off of it because I, I, I ain't got time. You got you to gotta go see the Eagles lose. Uh, the reality is... Oh, y'all don't, y'all stop counting math and science, you know? I believe in miracles too, but I, I, I count math, you know? Okay, anyway, anyway. The reality is, is that they were afraid of them. The Pharaoh rose and he was afraid of them people. He was afraid of them Hebrews. He was afraid of them brown-skinned, woolly-haired people. And because he was afraid of them, he instituted a system that would keep them oppressed. We have to understand that, this, that, 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 that there's something deeper there. And the Bible says that the more they oppressed them, though, and this is where you ought to shout. The Bible says the more that they oppressed them, though, the more that they afflicted them, the more that they put stuff on them, the more they multiplied. Some of you ought to stop and thank God that even though they put everything on you that they could put on you, they couldn't stop you from multiplying. They couldn't stop you from being productive. They couldn't stop you from shining and being the top of the class. They couldn't stop you. 
goes on to say that they made them work as slaves. Here it is. What we need to understand is that Joseph's descendants were always business partners to Egypt. Before Egypt, listen to me, before Egypt became the oppressor, they were partners. Joseph came, interpreted the dream of Pharaoh. Pharaoh put him into industry and said, listen, man, I need you to run this industry. Who do you think Joseph hired? The same way the people of Hebrew do today. They hire their own. So who do you think ran the barns of Egypt? Who do you think ran the industry that Joseph set up decades ago? Manasseh and Ephraim. Taking on the father's business, the family business. And they continued to do it. But then there, beca there became, watch this, when there is inequality in economics, oppression will ensue. <laughs> I ain't talking over nobody here. You feel me right now. When there is inequality in economics, oppression will ensue. That's why, watch this, that's why if we're put in a certain place, we can go buy the same vehicle that somebody else will buy, but we're going to be paying way longer and a higher interest rate. And this is why the next time we set up a, a, a watch this, this is why the next time we have financial peace, and this is why the next time we say we're having a financial literacy class, you need to be there. Because the dominant culture is betting on the fact you care nothing about your credit. They're betting on the fact that you will never pay all of the balance. They're betting on the fact that you will pay that $25 minimum and stay in bondage for the rest of your life, paying 30 years on a stereo. I know it's too real. I know it's too real. But you got to hear me. This, these are forms of bondage. They want to keep you locked in. And you will pay three times for the same car. So when they put them into slavery, watch this, they remove from them their economic leverage. Because they, they had been, listen, here it is. The Israelites had been doing the work. Why do you think they were so good at it? Come on, read the book. You got me, doctor. They, they had been doing this. They knew how to do this. This was their industry. They were workers. The only thing that the dominant culture did, the dominant race did, they took away their economic liberty. And if you're not careful, that check you get after your taxes will become a tool to get you further into economic slavery. And the dominant culture will say, amen. Because they'll, be ne they'll never be able to buy our land. 
they'll, 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 they'll lease for the rest of their life. And whenever we feel like it, we can kick them out. And because their people are so, are so individualized, their people are not going to bring them in because everybody needs a space. But while other races will have five families in the house that they're buying, and then after that house is paid for, we'll take the equity and buy another house. So now it's only four families, but it's two houses now. And before the third year... Everybody get in the house. You'll get a house. You'll get a house. You'll get a house. But I wonder if we recognize that the chains are still on us. But they just on our economy. Because we'll get the J's. And I'm not hating on you if you have budgeted and you can afford it. But ask yourself, should I? I know I can. Paul says all things are lawful. But are they expedient? If you got a $230 bill against a $230 pair of shoes, which do you do? The dominant culture is banking on the fact you will, as soon as midnight hits, last thing, we're gone. The origin of reconciliation. We see how we're, we become separated. We see how we can become oppressed. But now finally, as I conclude this message, how do we possibly get to reconciliation? I was sitting a couple of years ago. Matter of fact, it was my mom's birthday. And uh, that was the night that we, we, we talked about. It was, like, was it two, two years ago now? 2016. Thank you, Terrell. Let's pray for my brother, everybody. Just stretch your hands and say, Lord, bless Terrell. <clears throat> so I'm sitting there, and we're like, Mom, you know, my wife and I, we have been praying, seeking the Lord, say, Mom, I think it's time for us to all just live together. And then we, we started the process. We started the talking and started getting our mind and, and, and through a lot of conversations and dinners and so forth and so on. And, uh, you know, to where even, you know, last night was our first night all sleeping together. It was, it was kind of lit and weird, but amen. <laughs> We're learning. We're getting there together in Jesus' name. Uh, but at that, same, at that same meal, one man that I trust with my life and I love him with all my heart, he looked at me and he said, black people and white people will never get together. Love God. Love God. Serve God's people his whole life. But he, he is affirmed of the reality that they'll never get together. I got too much hope in me. And I believe my God is too big. And I believe his, his blood runs too deep. And I believe his arms are too wide to leave us in this state. 
So how do we get to reconciliation? Let's look what the scripture says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 through 21. And here we conclude. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but we are known, uh, but what we are uh, is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again out of giving, uh, giving you a cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For we love, for the love, excuse me, of Christ controls us. Therefore, we have concluded this, that the one who has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Man, it's all in this text. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God who reconciled the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ that you be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That was a lot, and you'll have to unpack it. But here's the bottom line. Because of the blood of Jesus, because of the finished work of Christ on Calvary, he came to reunite the people of the earth. He came to bring them all back into a place of oneness. But it will not be done by going to the city circle and singing Kumbaya. It will not be done by reparation. It will not be done by legislation. It will not be done by the color of the man who's in the White House. It will not be done when a woman gets in the White House. It will not be done when a Hispanic gets in the White House. It will not be done when a homosexual gets in the White House. It will not be done through any of those earthly means. It will only be done when we embrace the life of Jesus, and we lose our former self. You better lose yourself. You have to let go of who you were and become who God created you to be. And in that place, it's remarkable, in the early 1900s, 
uh, during the Azusa Street Revival, William Seymour, downtown L.A., a one-eyed preacher comes to town and calls for the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost immerses that place much as it did on the day of Pentecost. And it was said of them that every color line was washed away in the blood of Jesus. How do we do it? It is through the embracing of Jesus' blood and his Holy Spirit. The same way that it happened on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that they were all in one place on one accord. And the sound of a mighty rushing wind blew through there and tongues of fire sat on their heads and they began to speak in tongues. But they were men of every nation. And the Bible said that men of every nation heard in their own tongue and they all were one again. That is not by chance or happenstance. That is the very work of Jesus. Anytime we gather together in his name, be endowed by his Holy Spirit, reconciliation will ensue. That's why when I go to my, 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 my fellow brother, Pastor Jim's house, and I sit in their multi-million dollar parsonage, and I eat his Wisconsin sausage, we don't feel any type of way. And when Pastor Tomas and his family comes in and they sit at this table that I know costs thousands of dollars. And we eat and we drink and we love one another. It's possible because we're seeing through the eyes of Christ. Don't try to race reconcile with your race. That's like saying, I'm, I'm, let, me, let, me, let me be healed of cancer with cancer. The color is the problem. The difference is the problem. But when we find a common ground, and there is only one ground, for on Christ, the solid rock, we stand, and all other ground Father in the name of Jesus as we embark upon this exploration of race and religion Father we pray that you would challenge us through your word to begin to see our life with the lenses of Christ that ultimately by the time we conclude this time of study together we will have a whole different view of who we are, who others are in you. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would begin to allow us to meditate on these scriptures this week. That we'll begin to see the origin of how all of this started. We will be able to see how we have played a part in the realities of our present day. And most certainly prick our hearts and our spirits to let us know what we should do to be better. We honor you, we love you, we bless you. We declare these things to be done now, God. And it is so. We declare that we will be a woke church. We will be a church that is part of the solution. And we will not propagate the problem. We thank you, we bless you, and it is so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Did anybody get anything from today?